He is considered South Africa's greatest ever opening batsman, but even more impressively, he is the country's most successful captain, having led the Proteas to historic series wins in Australia and England and the team to the top of the world test rankings. Graham Smith was made captain at the tender age of 22 and stamped his authority on the team early on. He was accomplished in all forms of cricket and had a sensational career on the field. He's now turned to the administrative side of the game as Cricket South Africa's director of cricket at the ripe old age of 39. Given the challenges that face cricket both on and off the field, which are compounded by the uncertainty over the coronavirus pandemic sweeping the globe, these are difficult times everywhere. I'm Craig Ray, and it's a pleasure to have Graham Smith on the Maverick Sports Podcast this week. Two toughest customers in the South African side are Graham Smith and Mark Boucher, and they're out there now. And if you wanted two to win a game for you, these are the two you'd pick. That's uh, tipped away fine. That'll go all the way to the boundary. That's another Test Match 100 to uh, Graham Smith. What a series he's having. He becomes the eighth South African to score a century at Lords. Welcome, Graham. Morning, Craig. Thanks uh, for the nice intro. Well, let's just jump straight in with Director of Cricket. Let's start at the at the back end rather than work our way backwards. It's a big challenge, isn't it? Not just um, because of coronavirus, but obviously the Proteas in a difficult position. They, yeah, you took over at a tumultuous time. What's been your your sort of take on the first four or five months in the job? It certainly has been interesting. I mean, we jumped uh, well, jumped right in at late December, just before England arrived, and you know, I think initially it's focused on the cricket. I, I think you know we needed to try and get some some strong leadership in the environment. I think there was an area that was really lacking. Our you know, I think Fuff was almost in many ways you know controlling everything and carrying a, a huge can, and and you know the environment needed uh, to grow and needed a lot of uh, international experience and support. Yeah, I just I felt that Faf was taking on too much, and we really had to to grow our player pool. We had to increase the leadership uh, around the group. Um, we had to do a lot more coaching than than I think we we, we initially expected. You know, we, you know, it was a lot more sort of time and effort spent on basics and working on techniques and thinking around the game than than, than what we had initially uh, initially thought. So, you know, from the cricket perspective, we also grew a larger pool of players through, in particular, the One Day series against England, the T20s, and Australia. We wanted to, you know, test that pool and see what we got, and mm. we wanted a extensive winter program that we had in place. That after Corona had hit, we <laughs> we had to renavigate that yeah. that process. So, um, yeah. It's been interesting. I think from my own personal perspective, I've been dragged into commercial TV rights, uh, rebuilding relationships with Saka and the player bodies, rebuilding the women side of the game. So it's been it's been all all in. Yeah, but it sounds like an exciting challenge. I mean, just the one thing I pick up on there, you said you had to do a lot more coaching than you wanted to do. Would that not normally be the case at the highest level? I always wonder about cricket coaching at test level. I mean, what does yeah, what does that actually mean? I mean, do you yeah, when you were playing, did someone come and say to you, you need to keep your bat and pad closer together or something like that? I think we, we thought that obviously there's the, the technical side is the way that you think about batting as well as game plans, as strategies. You know, what's the thought behind what you're trying to achieve as, as well? You know, and I think that the, those are the aspects that we had to spend a, a, a lot of time on. I mean, I think particularly in the batting lineup, a, a lot of experience had been lost, a number of new players. And sometimes you can just bat and you can just bowl, and there's not there's not a, no, there's not a technical thought, there's not a game plan of how you're going to play against a certain attack or a certain bowler, you know. And, and can you know you know like in particular if I go to myself, you know, if you're facing 
Jimmy Anderson, I might have batted more leg side because he's trying to get me out of LBW. When you're facing Stuart Broad, you might go into off stump a bit more because he gets more bounce and you want to cover, you know, getting caught behind or, you know, how are you going to attack this spinner? You know, there's, there's a whole lot of strategies also as well. And then also, we, we you know, with Callis and Boucher and, and Enoch, we had to put a lot of work in in terms of rebuilding confidence, getting players' techniques up to up to the level. So there was a lot more of that work than I think we kind of initially expected. We came right down to the basics and had to build it up again. And you went for a guy like Rassi van der Dissen, a guy like uh, uh, Peter Milan, 30-year-old guys who have been in the system. Was that part of almost fast-tracking that experience, knowing that if you took a guy who's been in the game for 10 years, you're not going to have to you know, teach him as much, perhaps? Well, I think there's there's twofold. I mean, one, you hope that by that stage that he's learnt an element of his own strengths and weaknesses. And I think that South African cricket had moved away from sort of rewarding people who had been successful at domestic level for a period of time. I mean, Rossi had been in the one-day side and done well. Um, he'd shown a good temperament. Um, and it was probably a natural progression for him uh, into the test side. But the, the Peter Malans and that, so you're picking slightly more experienced guys, hoping that they can bring that experience into into play. Also, really trying to send the message that if you perform well consistently and, and, you, and you do the work, that, that, that that's how you're going to be rewarded. I think that had fallen away out of South African cricket over the last couple of years. Yeah. It's a natural thing that teams will go through rebuilding. I mean, you retired. Jock Cullis, Dale Staines had his injury problems. Mornay Morkel left. You know, Hashim Amla retired. Those are big shoes to fill. Did you expect before you got involved in cricket, were you surprised by sort of the decline of the team so quickly? Uh, or was that not really unexpected given the kind of players that have left the team? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in some ways, you know, playing on the surfaces that we did in South Africa through various tours maybe hid an element of, you know, the challenges that were coming our way. Uh, you know, when you go four or five seamers on green tops, you know, in South Africa against certain teams, you you, you can get away with it a little bit. Mm. And we weren't developing cricketers. We weren't developing players and, and a team that was going to you know, be successful uh, in all conditions uh, and challenge um, people around the world. And I think you know, then suddenly the tour schedule changes. You, know, you move on to one or two different harder climates where you can't bully people. And suddenly you've got to, you've got to outplay them. You've got to outthink them. And you've got to have the quality. And we, and we didn't have that at that stage. And you know, I think the goal is to try and rebuild an environment that we can provide you know, a, a team that can challenge all around the world. Yeah. Um, and, and I think in the short term now, there was a lot of learning through the summer for, for us as a leadership group. But our focus in the short term is going to be on white ball cricket. I think, you know, there's a there's a lot of white ball cricket coming up in our calendar. Hmm. You know, the, the T20 World Cup was meant to be in October. That is a chance that may be shifted. So you could have two World Cups in a short space of time. You, you know, our FTP is largely white ball based and, and test cricket is, is is limited over the next sort of year to, to two years. So that that is going to be our focus uh, over this next period. Yeah, I mean, England successfully did the white ball cricket. They focused on white ball cricket in the four years between the 2015 and 2019 World Cup, and that paid dividends, obviously. Uh, is that sort of a model you're going to look at? I, I mean, obviously, I think the ideal model would be to, to have a successful environment across the board. And I think if we can grow a large player pool that is quality, I think at the moment we have a lot of players that are sitting at a similar level. And, you know, initially, how do we escalate those players that are in the national side, but at that same level, how do we get them up uh, to high-performing individuals? And then how do we increase the, you know, the pressure on, on, on the national players where, with players' quality coming through? So we're looking at everything. You know, my, my job is not only just the national side, it's down the pipeline into under-19s, into national academies, high performance. So 
and and on the women uh, side of the game. So it's a fairly extensive job. But you know, you, once you've appointed Mark and Enoch and, and your and your guys, you know they've got to be accountable for their roles. Hmm. But yeah, I, look, Craig. I mean, obviously our goal would be to we would love to win a World Cup. I mean, we you know we've been close a number of times and. You know, we've got to rebuild the squad to to be competitive again. I, I felt that we would have been able to put a, you know, if all went and goes ahead in October, I felt we would have been able to put a really a good unit together to go to that World Cup in Australia. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, the under-19s you mentioned there, they've sort of struggled in the last few years. And, and yeah, there's one or two players, but as a team, they've struggled. Are you more concerned about how the under-19s do as a team or what kind of one or two gems come through it, through the squad? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a balancing act. I mean, you want to be bringing a number of players through. But I think through, you know, my, my under-19 programs, I mean, a lot of the players have, you know, played SN19, went on to play franchise level, went on to to to, to, to represent uh, South Africa. So, you know, the goal is to, to, to have a strong under-19 team. We've got to look at those programs, our scouting systems, you know, the coaching at that level. You know, also from there, under-19, and how do we phase it so kids don't get lost from under-19 and move into franchise? What are, what, what are the pathways that, that keep that vision open for, for cricketers? So there's a lot of work that's being done. I think, you know, we've lost, we've lost track. Even though we've invested a lot of money, I think there hasn't been, you know, the quality that, 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 that they need at that level. And are there any specific skills that you're really targeting? Um, yeah, I think maybe spin bowling for argument's sake. Or is it across the board? Or, you know, I mean, we saw how effective a team having a Murali or a Shane Warne could be. I always think of spin bowling as something that maybe South Africa, we haven't really filled that role properly over 20 years is that something you think of or, or or not there were times when we were touring india pakistan and sri lanka that we wanted to steal a net bowler or two you know <laughs> really you know ripping it sideways and got douches and, and the likes and it's, it's 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 a culture you know like we produce yeah fast bowlers for many years they culturally produce great spin options and it's an area that you know obviously we need to grow our debt and, and, and yeah you know, Craig, these decisions, it's, it's great to want everything, but at the moment with COVID and, and, and some of the stresses that Cricket South Africa has created for themselves, we've, you know, we've also got financial constraints that are going to restrict some of those decisions. You know, you, you'd love to have, you know, an open checkbook to approach anybody that you want, you know, but you've got to also be smart. Um, there are people still on contract. So, yeah, we, we've got to look at the system and think, how do we bolster it? How do we make people work harder? How do we get the best out of the system? And then, you know, how can we add people in and out to, to bring value to the system, I guess. Yeah. You, you were approached for the role late last year and you turned it down. You sent quite a strongly worded statement. You eventually then, um, you know, when all the shenanigans at Cricket South Africa, and I'm not going to ask you to comment on all of that, but Tabang Moreau was suspended. You came in. Yeah. What sort of changed your thinking at that point to take on the acting role, which has now become a permanent role? <sighs> you know, I, I think just being doing television stuff and being around so I think you can sense that something's going on. The path is, is not where it needs to be. And you know, when I started engaging with Cricket South Africa, I was, you know, the bang in particular, it just something didn't feel right. There was, there was just, the leadership the trust factor wasn't there and you were gonna take on this huge role. Um and, and to achieve things in this role you, you need to trust that leadership because you know, otherwise, you, you know, you want to do things, you want to shift things, you just keep bumping your head. And it's, it's not about control. It's about being able to challenge each other. It's about being able to be robust and have hard conversations uh, and, and trust that you all, you know, you're going to move forward and, and hopefully have, have an opportunity to, to, to do something with, with the job. You know, and I just, mm. I never felt that um, you know, every time there was like one step forward, two steps back. It felt like 
you know, there's elements of game playing. You know, you, you start to think, you know, is, it, is it worth taking on this pressure, this role, this responsibility when you have zero trust in the people around you? I think, you know, when I did get officially decide to do it on an interim basis, you know, things kind of hit a real wall in, in South African cricket. You know, the, the leadership had broken down entirely. Mm. Things were being exposed. Uh, and, and then you kind of think, well, let me jump in and see if I can make a difference. Some of those elements are, are out of the system. Can, can I can I get in and help, you know? And then, you know, you three, four months in the job and the care factor starts to grow and you start to realize that there's actually, you know, quite a few good people in the system that care a lot, um, that have lacked leadership and, and, you know, there's some hardworking people around. And, and, you know, you've kept in South Africa and played for 13, 14 years and now you're in this role, you know, it's, it's in your blood, Craig, and you want to you want to see it successful. Yeah. And so yeah, you just you know you kind of get in and you say, okay, well, let me give it a good go. Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be some big challenges. Let's just uh, swing back to your career, Graham. Uh, you know, you you came on the scene, you you played a few tests, and then you were made captain at 22. And the first tour, if I recall, was to England, which is always one of the big tours for any cricketer to the home of cricket. Uh, I seem to recall you had lunch. Uh, with Mike Brearley before that series. And then you went on and scored 277 and 259 in the first two tests. Do you remember anything of that lunch with Brearley and what, what he told you? Yeah, I mean, my Brearley lunch actually happened after the double hundreds. Oh, right. Sorry. So, no, no. I mean, uh, you know, at 22, you're trying, to, you're trying to meet with whoever possible to try and grow your your thoughts on, on leadership. And even though these people are telling you stuff, it's it's hard to, to resonate uh, at the time. You know, you've got your own challenges at 22 and your own sort of way and you know for me it was about you know being single-minded determination almost trying to show people that i could handle it and be successful at the same time it's not not a sustainable method but at 22 it's what it's almost like a self-protection mode you know my lunch with mike was was very interesting i mean he's he's a very good thinker uh, almost in 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 a scientific way i mean it was difficult to understand some of the words that he was using at 22 very (laughs) very posh and, and, and some big words. But you know, the fact that he, you know, he took the time to have lunch with me, I remember having this, a similar one with Mike Atherton. And, you know, it was great that the guys were prepared to, to sit and, and, and pass on some knowledge. And, but I think it's one of those things, leadership, especially at a young age, you, 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 you'll have some potential, you'll have credentials, but you've got to grow uh, into the role and understand the challenges that you face within your own environment as well and, and how to navigate that. And I think that took me time um, you know, within their team, within the South African structures, uh, politics, sponsors, everything, you know, that those are elements that you've got to grow into and, and, and learn to navigate and handle well. Yeah, and it's a, it's a role that you certainly did grow into. I mean, your first skirmishes with Australia, you you were, as you said, you, you kind of came out quite forcefully and, and obviously they, they, they got the upper hand in those early exchanges. How much did you learn from that though? I learned an immense amount. I mean, one, how tough it is to, to play in Australia. I was very naive in the way that I, that I handled that. I, re- I remember thinking that we were a young team and I, I was watching the press and Warren and McGraw and all of them were attacking our players in the press. And, and I kind of thought, naively, if I can shift some of that pressure onto me, maybe it'll allow I, 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 the guys to just play and, and perform well. But <laughs> I shifted too much pressure onto myself. Uh, and, you know, it was, a, it was a long, tough tour where you learn a lot about yourself as well and what you can handle from a pressure perspective from, you know, the media, the public there in Australia as well. It's very vocal. Um, uh, and then you're playing against some incredible cricketers as well. And, and, you know, 
I think also it made me really think about the type of team and environment that we needed to have to, to be successful in Australia. Yeah. You know, when we went there on my first tour, we, you know, we had some good outstanding players, but we weren't, weren't a team that could compete consistently. You know, when you kind of can compete to a level, but they always had more in the tank. They could handle more pressure. They could exert more pressure. They had a player that performed at a key time. And, you know, going there, Post that, the lessons learned were, were huge in terms of how to approach the tour tactically, how to think, how to approach the media, how to handle the public. You know, it really benefited us in the success that we had after that. Clive Lloyd famously did it. They, the West Indies got hammered in Australia in '75, and then they went back with, you know, he went and found a barrage of fast bowlers, and that essentially set the the template for the West Indies for the next 15, 20 years. How they dominated. <laughs> what was your takeaway from that first Australia tour? What were the areas you thought? Besides off the field, the media and your own reaction, what on the field? What did you you sort of plot? We needed to be smarter. We needed to be mentally stronger. Um, you know, but I think more than anything, you have to have. I think you've got to start with an environment that has the skill to go and consistently win. There. You know, you've got to have the batters to perform, uh, the bowlers that can take you twenty wickets, uh, and 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 then you know, I think the key was to try and understand Australia tactically. You know, they, they, for so many years they they had such a powerful team and they, and they bullied teams day in and day out. You know, so how are we going to handle that that approach? Um, you know, mentally, how are we going to go into games? You know, how are we going to support each other when, when when the heat was on? And you start to build your own culture within your environment that can that can handle. You know, um, and the, the first sign of toughness. You know that. Or, or things get get hard, you know. Then, you know, how does your environment show up? So I think we were so much smarter tactically. We had the players on the next tour. We could we could handle pressure. We we knew what to expect when they came at us. You know, how were we going to handle it? How were we going to you know respond? Uh, you know, we, we were so well prepared. Instead of just going in and and, and almost just backing yourself, we, we we had ticked the boxes from a preparation, uh, and, and players were ready. Yeah, and I mean, it was a phenomenal uh, series, the one that you finally won, the, the 2008 series in Australia, uh, yeah, to, to get that win. And, uh, you know, the Perth test was obviously, I think, am I correct in saying it was it Perth where you chased down a massive yeah. score in the fourth innings? Yeah, it, it was Perth. I mean, I think also we had, we had a very successful tour to India, which we won all, then we beat England for the first time in England. So the confidence in an environment also grows. And we, and we knew sort of the final... Thing was going to be Australia, you know, that, that December, January, February period, you, you know, you, you're in someone's backyard over Christmas and, and New Year, uh, playing at the most iconic stadiums in Australia. And, and Perth, and I think the, the, the element that we got under control as well is, is, the, is the emotional side. We were a lot smarter in the way that we handled pressure, the way we handled situations we were in. You know, we were able to talk tactics instead of, you know, you get, instead of being up and down, you know, test matches five days. Depending on you know if it goes five days, but it's hard. And every every session, you know, you kind of as a captain, you say this is the most important session. You know, so you've got to be up. So yeah. you've got to learn to to handle and control uh, yourself for a long and extended period of time. And then when you finish that day, you get up the next day and you've got to do it again. And it's and, and if you're in someone's backyard, I mean, at the Boxing Day Test match, ninety six thousand Aussies on day one and day two, you back. You know, you've got to find a way to stay in that, that place, that zone, and not allow your emotions to, to, to kill you. That was the series where you also famously came out with the broken hand at Sydney, is that right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, that's ripped into the gloves. Off a length. That really has hurt Graham Smith. 
That could be a real bad one, that. I reckon he would be absolutely crazy to bat on here. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, what's happening? Graham Smith is coming out to bat. Graham Smith is coming out to bat. This is a mighty figure. And, uh, I mean, the Aussies, yeah, they, they, give, they give a lot of lip, but do you feel that innings, yeah, I wouldn't say they, they won them over because that's maybe a bit strong, but certainly earned their respect? Yeah, I, I think it had happened through the tour. One of the great men of the modern game, and Sydney is standing to him. In Sydney, you know, <laughs> it was unusual to walk out to, to you know, rousing cheers and, and rounds of applause in Australia. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was. And I think, you know, Aussie public enjoy people who do it tough, and, uh, and uh, they're not really big fans of the prima donnas in, in Australia. So I think doing something like that, and, you know, I think that whole test series grip gripped the nation there and, and here in South Africa. I mean, I remember flying home after that test match with a broken hand and arriving at the airports and there was hundreds of people. And, and that moment, it's been incredible how, how, how many people at that moment touched it. It's still to this day, it surprises me, uh, the conversations everyone wants to know about the thoughts behind the scenes and when you were going in and how are you feeling. And it's, you know, at that moment, it's, 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 been, it's, it's one that you just didn't realize when, when you were in it. But... Mm. You know, when you got out of it, how, how it impacted people is just worth blowing me away. Graham, you, you, you faced a lot of great bowlers in your time. Who were the, well, who was the quickest and who were the most difficult to face? Yeah, yeah there, were some, there were some real gas guys. Uh, obviously, I think in the early days, like Shah Bacta, that was, mm. that was pretty scary uh, on, on occasions. I remember facing him in East London at PE and the not great lights ones. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he asked himself a few questions. I mean, Brett Lee himself was also could bowl the speed a lot and your adrenaline pumps, you know, there's pros and cons, I guess, to facing that sort of pace then. But the quality guys over time, I mean, like, like a McGraw, you know, it was just brilliant at, at working you over, you know, he was thinking bowler, had the, the skills to, to, to do what he wanted to, you know, swinging conditions against someone like Jimmy Anderson and Matthew Hoggard. Obviously, I had my challenges against Zahir Khan and, you know, his style and ability to swing the ball late. Well, I always say to someone, you know, growing up in South Africa, then going and, and being able to score runs in the subcontinent is is, is 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 a unique challenge, you know, with the heat, the spinning ball, men around your bat. It's it's a whole different style and way of playing cricket, um, and to be able to adapt to that and be successful is is often a, a challenge, you know. And a, you know, facing spin bowlers like Warren and Merlitchen and Ajmal over the years, which, and Kumble, you know. You think back to those challenges was was unique. Yeah, and I mean the, the the IPL quickly. I mean that changed the face of the game. I mean you went and played there, and a lot of players who were right. You know, you would have had big battles with Australia and England and India on the field. But when you suddenly started playing with these guys in a club environment in India, did that change relations between the teams at at national level? It did. I mean, I remember you know joining Rajasthan Royals myself and Warney from that first tour, and had our and I had a few tensions. You know, mm. but it, was, it was actually incredible how we we bonded. I think you know Warney was the head honcho, and I think once we came together, we had a number of young Indian players, and you know that that first season of IPL 2008, I don't think anyone knew what to expect. I remember the auctions and the prices, and everyone was blown away with like you know suddenly what what players were fetching. You know, this league, and it was just. You know, it was almost uh, cricket on steroids in that uh, in that first season. The crowds, the people, the energy through India, the fanfare, and then also being successful at the same time. I mean, it's it's got to be one of the most memorable experiences I've, I've ever ever had in, in the game. 
I mean, that final when we were trying to get out of the hotel and the bus couldn't move because there were thousands of people <laughs> outside and then you can't get into the stadium. It was just mental that yeah, how IPL took India by storm. Um, and, and, and then being able to experience those cultures, uh, you know, one-on-one with the young Indian guys, with, you know, some of the Australians and morning and spending some quality time with him, uh, learning about him as a, as a person away from the game and, and the way that he thought about cricket. It, 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 RPL has really offered, uh, I think, unique friendships around the world that we all have now, for, you know, uh, and they're long-lasting. Graham, good luck with the director of cricketship, and it's going to be a tough year. They might not even get on the field this year. I suppose that's another concern, keeping the players motivated. But uh, I guess that's part of the challenge. So good luck with that. Yeah, thanks, Craig. I mean, we, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with international travel, but we believe that we could, we can, you know, cricket. Fortunately, we're a bit more social distancing than I guess rugby and football. So, you know, I think crowds are going to be the huge challenge. But uh, hopefully, we'll be able to get something going. Uh, you know, under this COVID challenges that that, that we have in, in time. Graham, thanks a lot for your time. This podcast is made possible by our Maverick Insiders. Please consider becoming part of our Maverick Insider community where for a nominal fee every month, you are supporting quality independent journalism. You also get some cool benefits such as Uber vouchers when the coronavirus pandemic subsides and engagement with our journalists thrown in. Please go to dailymaverick.co.za forward slash insider to sign up and become part of the Maverick Insider community. Also remember to sign up to our Maverick Sports newsletter, which hits your inbox on a Monday, and never miss another podcast by signing up via your favorite platform. I'm Craig Gray. Thanks so much for joining us this week. 